If you've walked a mile in the shoes of somebody in the chokehold of addiction who needs help, you'd know exactly what kind of hand up they need. You'll hear from CEO Paul Scudo how the amazing Step Denver is going toe-to-toe with the disease of addiction and changing men's lives through a proven model with lived experience at its core on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I am excited to have a conversation with Paul Scudo, CEO of Step Denver, a residential recovery program for men that was recently honored with a Medal of Excellence from the Daniels Fund. Paul was named CEO in September of 2023 with a focus on building partnerships to bring STEPS model into communities across the country. Paul has been with the organization since 2015, previously serving as executive director and director of programs. He brings extensive experience and expertise in the addiction recovery community, coupled with a 27-year career in senior management for leading global hospitality companies. Prior to STEP, Paul worked at the University of Colorado's Cedar Addiction Treatment Facility. Paul is in recovery from the disease of addiction, and he was homeless for two years as a consequence of his addiction. Now locally recognized recovery leader and expert, Paul serves on the Colorado Providers Association, 5280 Recovery High School, Advance and Justice Grant Boards. Paul, welcome, and thanks so much for being with me today. Jay, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me. Let's start simple and just introduce us to Step Denver and talk about your mission. Sure. Step Denver is a men's residential addiction recovery program that gives men with nowhere else to turn the opportunity to overcome the consequences of addiction through a program that's based on sobriety, work, accountability, and community. There are many studies that show that the primary driver for homelessness is addiction, and many studies that show that upwards of 70% of the folks that are homeless are men. So STEP is trying to serve the largest number of people possible by serving men suffering from the disease of addiction. And so our program is a long-term residential program. It is not clinical in nature. Most of the men coming to us have had some sort of treatment, hospital, or other clinical episode, and for whatever reason didn't do what was suggested, found their way back to the street. So what we do is provide a program that focuses on addiction recovery, teaching the disease model and that they're never going to be cured. Hmm. That also works with them to move away from dependence towards self-sufficiency. They can't be on any third party or government financial assistance, Hmm. and they have to work a full-time W-2 tax-paying job. We're also teaching them about accountability, Mm -hmm. becoming responsible for my choices, actions, and behaviors, teaching them that, hey, people have bad breaks in life. Sometimes life isn't fair. We get that. That's why we're here to help you. 
And we're going to ask you to not live in that victim mentality, but move towards rebuilding your life with our assistance. And it is a peer recovery community with the idea that together we can overcome what independently we were unable to do. Right. So many of us suffering from the disease of addiction try over and over and over to quit. Right. And we can't understand, uh, you know, why we can't stop despite seeing the consequences right. that are happening in our right. lives. Right, right, Jay? And so we teach the man again, you've got a disease and we have a program of recovery. There are men and staff here that want to help you. And then once you start rebuilding your life, it becomes incumbent on you to help the next guy coming in. Which is awesome. Yeah, we do that along with a very robust life skills program, trying to teach these men that may have never learned this in their upbringing or like myself, were on the street for so long, I needed to be reconditioned to this. Mm -hmm. Simple things, making a bed, doing my laundry, purchasing and preparing my own food, learning to budget my money, putting money away in savings, navigating transportation, rebuilding family relationships, finding healthy social and recreational activities, Right. right? All of these things which in many cases when a person comes out of a kind of a, a lockdown treatment or, or other program, uh, these are the things, the problems that they still have yeah. waiting for them right. that cause them stress, anxiety, and right. fear. And they go back to that coping mechanism sure. to deal with those feelings right. and that coping mechanism is using. So, It's a four-phase program. The first three phases take place in our 60-bed primary facility in downtown Denver here on Larimer Street. And then phase four, they transition to one of our six five-bedroom sober living homes out in the community where they get that soft landing Mm -hmm. and can learn to start functioning out there on their own in community. Uh, The program is geared to go anywhere between six months and two years, depending on the individual. And the ultimate goal of our program is to have our men transition into safe, sober, independent living environments where they can be productive and contributing members of their families and communities. Right. And when you talk about you know, you mentioned this is residential 60, but the guys live here. They do. So that's got to be good because it has to be a pretty structured schedule that they have to adhere to. We were talking about this a little bit earlier before we went on air about what their days look like, which has to help. That structure has to kind of help. Is that? It absolutely does, Jay. You're, you're 100% right. We teach our men when they come in, they have two basic rights. You have the right to be treated with dignity and respect, and you have the right to a safe and clean living environment because you have that right. We all have that right. Yeah. And so the program and the facility is governed by a set of rules and and kind of social mores, so to speak. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to do is reinstill that structure and teach them to live in community yeah. in a productive and healthy way. So a wise one, a wise guy 
gave me a great quote and he said, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods you can live in is your own mind. So I was thinking about that one before our conversation today. How difficult is it when you're living in that neighborhood to reach out and take that first step to say, you know, I need to come and and live at Step Denver? Really great, great question because we have to to take into account that this didn't just happen overnight, right? right? The disease of addiction in many cases took upwards of a few years Mm -hmm. To get an individual to the point where they've lost everything, they have no support, no job, no money, no home, uh, quite often a criminal background, history, and they're living out there in the wild, wild west, per se, in a state of chaos, right? And that chaos kind of formulates the way I think and feel I'm in survival mode. And so to bring a person to the place where they are usually so broken, so tired, just exhausted and and humiliated and, and willing to take that step to rebuild their life oftentimes takes years and takes a number of severe consequences because we're going to try any and everything else right before we have to admit i have a problem right i can fix this i need to be strong yeah right i need to write all those things so when that person is ready and willing we want to be here and we also have to expect this change isn't going to happen overnight. Right. That's why our, our program takes a little bit of time. Uh, it, it's to affect a behavioral change over that time so that person can go from the one that is living in chaos on the inside, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, as well as the outside yeah. to someone that is a little bit calmer, a little bit more organized, a little bit more structure oriented and is rebuilding this life to be able to engage in community, family, work, church, whatever that might look like in a healthy way. Right. And one of the coolest parts that I've learned about this organization is, you know, in in the nonprofit world, one of the big kind of buzzwords is lived experience Mm -hmm. and having, and the more I've learned about trauma, it's, it's having peer relationships where you can talk with, you know, people that have gone through the, the trauma or whatever that you've gone through. That's a real strength of this organization. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. And, it, you know, the guys that have gone through the program that now work in the work here for staff. Absolutely. Our program is not clinical in nature. As I mentioned, this is a peer recovery community. 16 of our 17 program employees are graduates so of our awesome. program. And you said it exactly right, Jay. When an individual who their entire life is being told what to do right. by a person in authority, whether it's your parents, your teacher, your boss, the police, the judge, the probation officer, a therapist, mm-hmm. a psychiatrist, a doctor, a someone in a position of authority that in 95% of, of the cases hasn't had my lived experience, it makes it difficult to hear what right. they're saying. Right. When the men come into our program and our program employees are able to say to them, <laughs> look, Jay, 
I, I right suffered from disease and yep. addiction. I was living on the street. I lost everything. I came into step. I went through this program. I did these things that were suggested. And now my life looks like this. And if you would like that, I want to help you. I want to walk along with you to get you there. The men are much more receptive to that sort of lived experience. So you said it perfectly, 100% right. Well, and as a leader, it has to be super gratifying to see that happen. You're like, I've seen this guy go through, he's changed his life and now he's affecting change. So it's it's gotta be one of those mission accomplished moments, right? You're absolutely right. And that was my lived experience mm-hmm. coming from homelessness, to having tried everything to, to be able to break the cycle of addiction and rebuild my life and and I just couldn't do it and coming into a program where individuals knew how I felt yeah right it wasn't just what I went through right. and what the consequences were but how I felt at a visceral level made me willing to to listen to them and since rebuilding my life myself and making this my vocation mm-hmm. to help others, you're right. I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of people in both my personal recovery and the professional work that I do follow this same path and have similar success. And which has got to be awesome. Extremely rewarding. Extremely rewarding. So, you know, you've been here for a minute now, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. How would you say things have changed, you know, as far as the problems that you're seeing guys deal with? Are they, are they similar? Have they evolved? Is, it, is, it, is that a changing thing or is it always kind of the same kind of things? That is an interesting question. And when you look at it at a base level, nothing has changed, wow. right? Addiction is putting people on the streets at, at a rapid rate. Yeah. It is more visible now than it was in the past because it previously was not socially acceptable to be living on the street, using drugs and alcohol openly. Right. Our society has evolved We have become, see me making air quotes, more compassionate, more accepting, right? And we have developed what I call a victim narrative, right? We look at these people, we feel badly. And so we, we are looking for the reasons that they have gotten to this place in their life. And our first thought is this can't be their fault. It has to be their upbringing. It has to be trauma, mental health, abuse, the the economy, the cost of housing, outside elements that did this to them. Right. Because if we say it's addiction, and even though, though addiction has become more widely understood by most people, it's still looked at as a choice, yeah. as a moral failing, mm. as a lack of willpower or strength. Right. right. And if I say that person's on the street because of addiction, then they're bad. Whereas if they're on the street, 
because of all these other reasons we mentioned, then they're a victim and I feel good about helping them. So it's kind of the stigma of addiction kind of thing. It is. And those folks that are out there suffering from the disease of addiction are very savvy and they've learned this narrative and they know when approached or if they are seeking services, if I say those key buzzwords, I am going to get help mm. with no expectations, no strings attached, and no requirements on my part to put in the effort to rebuild my life. So that is what's changed. The way we look at it, the services that are available, the narrative surrounding it, and the amount of money that we are sinking into it. Yeah. So talk about how, you know, the discipline and the accountability that you guys do here, you know, works. We know it works because we've all gone through Right. We know it works because we all tried something else. We know it works because we see what other good organizations with well-meaning intentions are trying to do. And not only is it not having the desired outcomes and effects, in many cases, it's perpetuating the problem because I just learn how to navigate those services Right. And as a matter of fact, it's increasing the problem. Mm. We see more and more money spent. The point in time homeless number goes up every year. Mm -hmm. The overdose deaths go up every year. And information from the the Denver coroner's office reports that 70 percent of the deaths of homeless people are due to overdose or drug or alcohol related physical issues, right? So we see that happening, right? And we see the outcomes of the men here. Mm -hmm. We have our own personal experiences, right? right? So this is how we know this works. And the accountability piece Many people think is not compassionate. It's mean. You're, you're, you, you know, you're not helping, right? You're trying to control them. And it's not it at all. No. All of us are taught from a very young age, right? Life isn't fair. There's no free lunch. You work hard for what you get. Right. You have to follow the law. Right. You you have to put effort into your work, your family, your right. home. Right. All of our lives require the effort that we're ultimately accountable for in these different areas of our life. Yeah. But we've said for this one group of people, you're exempt from that. Right. And this is compassion. So what the subtext yeah, that I that hear message, is. Right is you're a victim. We don't believe you can rebuild your own life. So we're going to take care of you. And oh, by the way, Jay, you're going to pay for this with your tax money. Mm. Even though you work hard, are accountable, and put effort into your life to have the quality of life that you do on a daily basis. Right. So... 
I'm going to, I'm thinking that you probably don't have to spend a lot of time finding people that take part in the program, but how does somebody, when they've, when they've reached this point to where it's like, I've got to do something different. I'm, I've got to take control of this somehow. How do they, how do they come to find you? Our men come to us from a wide variety of referral sources. More often than not, they're trying to take advantage of all of the services mm. that are out there. They've been to treatment or maybe a therapist. Uh, they have gone to detox. They've been in and out of the shelter system. They've lived in an encampment. Uh, they have couch surfed. Uh, mommy and daddy are kicking them out of the basement. Their wife is kicking them out of the house. They've run out of all their other options. So we have great relationships through an outreach program with the shelters, detoxes, treatment centers, the, the legal avenues like probation and parole, drug court, mm-hmm. churches. We uh, have marketing through radio, television, billboards, bus ads, and our alumni refer a lot of people, mm. the people in our program right. currently, you know, might see yeah. folks they knew Still on the street and good. refer them. And the homeless community in general is very aware of what all the services are out there mm-hmm. and what they do. So we have no lack I'm sure. of people showing up at the door or calling us on the phone to come into our program. Right. Well, the, the program has enjoyed such great success that now I understand you're, one of your roles as CEO is to take this model and kind of spread it across the country. Is that right? It is. Uh, we believe that we have a program that works. Our outcomes clearly show that. We collect data from the men that leave our program for upwards of a year. We're reaching out to them. We're providing additional coaching, but we're also collecting outcomes data. Sure. Are you sober? Are you employed? Are you housed? How's your family relation, your financial situation, right? And the outcomes from that exceed those of the national average Uh, of an aggregate of other programs, right? So we know it works. The other thing we know is that it is very cost effective. Last year, we served 400 men, almost 400 men, like 397 at at an overall annual budget of $2.4 million. So that equated to a cost of $5,200 per person served. Wow. Right. And when you look at you're taking care of them. You're offering a place to live. You're feeding them. You're doing programming for them. That's amazing. We feed them them. initially until they get a job. Gotcha. Once they get a job, and we don't even feed them in the traditional food line sense, we give them packaged food. But this is one of the first life skills they're learning. Right. How do I prepare my food, eat with my friends, clean up after myself? Once I get a job and I have my own money, how do I make a grocery list, go grocery shopping, and again, prepare, eat, clean up after myself? So, all right? doing all of everything you do, 1,500 guys, pretty remarkable. Exactly. When you think of the tens of right. millions of dollars that treatment, shelters, other right. right and and 
$45,000 per person to put them into a hotel room or a tiny home for a year. And then next year, we're going to pay that again and again and again Mm -hmm. for those people. And we're going to house all the new people hitting the street. At what point, Jay, does that become economically unsustainable? I think we've hit it. Our program (laughs) teaches the men to take care of themselves. And there is an off-ramp. So we can help the next 400 people next year at the same cost with a small cost of you know, inflationary right, right, increase, right. right? And so we believe this model works from an outcome standpoint and a fiscal prudence standpoint. And we believe that other communities, once introduced to this, are going to have an interest yeah. and we would like to share with them our program and help them build one in their own community. We're not going to come in with the right. financial investment. We would never be able to got afford model, to though. do that. We want to bring you the model and help you implement it in your community so that you have ownership, you have engagement, and you're helping your community directly. Yeah. And and two things that I would love to touch on off of that are, you know, one, there is an off-ramp. So there is an end solution in mind here. But then the second part that I think is fascinating is once guys leave here, you're still in touch with them and you're still supporting them. Correct. We think that's vital for a couple of reasons, right? While an individual is in some sort of program, it's a little bit easier to stay sober. It's a little bit easier to stay stable right. uh, and have that that structure uh, that, that are, are brought about by the rules, so to speak. It's when you get out there on your own, right, that we want to provide them that additional support yeah. during that transition. Right. Um, and also we want to collect that data because we say this tongue in cheek, but it's easy to stay sober in the bubble. Right. It's easy to be successful in the bubble. What really matters is what happens when you leave? Did we teach you the skills, provide you the resources, connect you with the outside support services? Did you rebuild your relationship with your family? Did you get a stable job? Did you save enough money to have the resources for that transition? How are you doing out there on your own? That is the real test of success. And so that off-ramp that you made mention of is not just important from a financial standpoint where we can help the next people at the same cost. It's about telling these men, we believe you, right? We believe in you, I should say. You you don't need to be dependent on us or your family or the government or another nonprofit. We've walked with you. We've taught you. We've given you the tools. You've rebuilt the outside areas of your life. You're ready to do this, and we know you can. Well, and I love the the data collection piece of that too, because it's just it's more evidence that you guys are always looking to be better. How, what can we learn? How can we do this better? Which which is fascinating. But one thing I'd love for you to talk about is: was there an aha moment for you, or? Just kind of a tipping point where you thought, you know what, this is what I want to do as my vocation. 
I don't know if there was one aha moment. Um, what I was taught early on in recovery while I was living in a pure recovery, sober living home was that service giving back was vital to maintaining my sobriety. It was also vital in affecting a behavioral change from become, you know, be, having been a selfish mm-hmm. taking person to a giving helping person. So early on, I started volunteering at the treatment center that I had gone mm-hmm. to. And I was told by a few people there, Hey, you kind of got the knack for this. Okay. You might want to go back to school and get your education around this. And then I thought about it and, you know, I had this two and a half year gap in my resume. I I've got, I'm a convicted felon. You know, I didn't see a future in going back to the corporate world. Right. And so I said, you know what? I'll give this a shot. I really enjoy what I'm doing. And this could be a whole new pathway in life to help people instead of just working for the man or making money is the only goal. Right. And so I did that and uh, got my education and, um, you know, two years, a little less than two years into my recovery, my the, the treatment center I went to asked me to come work for that. That's awesome. So all of a sudden I was a counselor there and I worked there for three years before I was kind of recruited away from there uh, by step to come build a program here at which at that time was basically kind of just a working man's shelter, transitional housing. There was no addiction recovery. Right. There was no career development. There was no life skills programming, all those things you need to right. holistically, Get that out, uh, right. you know, build, you know, help a man rebuild yeah. their life in all facets of that life. And so, I wouldn't say there was an aha moment. There was a series of small aha moments that led to this awakening of this. This is where this is what God or the universe or a bigger, higher power has uh, in store for me. This is the plan. And I just went along with the plan. I love it. You're you're a modern day Paul, uh, Peter and Paul. You're you know Fisher of Men. I love it. Yeah. Um, but you know this work is not for the faint of heart. It is not. What keeps you energized and keeps you going? Knowing that we're making a difference. The disease of addiction is insidious. We talk about our successes but we have an equal amount of failures. Mm. This disease is the only disease in which the number one symptom of the disease is that it tells you, you don't have a disease. Mm. We so desperately want to be normal. We so desperately want to fit in with our family, friends, you know, work colleagues, you know, and, a, a, a gentleman will come in 30 days in they're feeling healthy again. They've got a job, their phones turned back on. They've got some money in the bank. They start talking to a girl and they're like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need all this. And they go out 
and they haven't given themselves the runway to change their thinking and behavior. And they more often than not relapse because they go back to the same places, people, things, and they think they can control it. And this is not a disease of control, Mm. right? And so they relapse, they lose everything again. And oftentimes we will see them back here. Mm. We'll give them up the three shots here, or we'll see them in other programs, or we'll see them out on the street, unfortunately, right? And so it breaks your heart, right? Because you love these people, you want to help these people, you see the potential in them, you got to know them and see who they could be, right? And then, right? Right. They they don't. And, And it's all because of this disease telling you, I'm okay, I don't need all that, I got it under control. And so we try to focus on those we help. We try to focus on that one guy that gets it and makes it. Or the, you know, 200 guys that got it last year and made it. And 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 the guys that are now your colleagues in the business, that's got to be extremely gratifying. And the hope of the next gentleman walking through the door. That's who we got to help. Nice. I love it. Well, as we wind down, I've taken up a lot of your morning here. Uh, Tell me what's something you will read, listen to, or watch today. So um, I always read two things to start my day. I read the Wall Street Journal and I read the Denver Gazette and I kind of get, you know, a national and a local Love it. temperature of what's happening. At the end of my day, before I go to bed, it's recreational reading. Nice. And I am a science fiction and fantasy Love nerd. It. I want to, after a day a of all of the challenges yeah. and efforts and trials and tribulations of the real world, yes, it's a little bit of escapism. Yeah. Right? I just want to calm my brain and go somewhere else. Um I don't watch a lot of television. Uh, I do watch sports, you know, yeah. certain sports, hockey and football, but that is probably pretty limited over the course of a week. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, it's, space. it's more reading. Sure. Is there somebody that you can point to who's been a role model in this work that you're doing? There are a few people. There are some folks at Cedar that I worked for. Um, I, I can't really name them for confidentiality sure. reasons. My counselor there uh, also became my mentor when I started nice. working there. The executive director of Cedar that gave me the opportunity uh, to, to come into the addiction recovery field took a chance on me and uh, also became my mentor. And then when he left Cedar, became a board member of step nice and has been that's a, a, that's a cool full, full circle for, moment for nine years nice. he's kind of been my mentor um and, and another role model from an accountability effort and work and just overall quality of life are my parents you know my mother and father instilled very good values in me right i came from a, a, a decent upper middle class background. There was no drinking, drugs, trauma, 
mental health abuse. I was afforded all of the opportunities. I was taught good work ethic and values and how you treat people. And those things were instrumental in the way I built this program. Nice. So the, the addiction, the disease might have masked that for a little bit, but it that did. was always there. It did. That's fantastic. So other than Step Denver, is there organizations out there that you admire the work they're doing or would like to give a shout out to? I admire every single nonprofit organization. It's going to sound very generic. <laughs> that are doing the work to help people. Not everyone is ready and willing or at a place where Step Denver can work for them. Yeah. Some of them may never be there. Other programs, other organizations might provide services that do work for individuals, right? Uh, it, it takes a village and the people that dedicate their time often for very little money yep. with the, you know, altru altruistic goal to help people. Uh, one of the ones that, that I really love is Sobriety House. They are the oldest treatment center in Colorado, 57 years, nonprofit, helping people that almost have zero resources to go through a clinical treatment program. The work they do there is, is remarkable. And anyone that is looking for treatment that might not have the insurance or the private pay to go to one of those frou-frou country <laughs> clubs, take a look at that. If you would like to make a donation and you're not donating to STEP, <laughs> donate to the Sobriety House. Sounds like a great podcast. Guess I'll have to run them down. My last one, if anybody wants to support STEP, learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way to find you? You can help us find more information, right? The first thing is if you know someone that needs help or you're someone that needs help that may not have lost it all yet, but you're on the way, go to stepdenver.org and click on the program tab. All of the information will be there. If you would like to support our mission, we take no government funding of any type. Mm. So we are only supported through the kind donations of individuals, private foundations, vehicle donations. You can go to stepdenver.org, click on the red donate button in the upper right-hand corner and learn how to donate financially or a vehicle. We would be so grateful because we can't do this without you. Awesome. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes. Paul, thanks again for your time and Godspeed. Keep up the great work. Jay, I'm humbled. I'm grateful. Uh, I'm really honored that you would have me. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners who invested the time to hear us today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Paul and Step Denver for helping break the chains of addiction and transform lives. This podcast has been brought to you by JC Charity Services. Running a nonprofit is hard, and I'd love to help you thrive. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Step Denver and support their efforts, visit stepdenver.org. Check the show notes for links, and if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.